Boom, boom, shake the room. Welcome to the Doom Room. I'm Alex, and I'm doomed. Straight out of the womb, boom, boom, it's the Doom Room. I'm Justin, I'm doomed. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 8 of Doom Patrol, titled Danny Patrol. Now, before we get to any sort of recap or anything like that, we should talk yeah, about what let's happened. Let's take it back. Yeah, yeah. So got, yeah let's like... <laughs> Let's let's rewind the clock a little bit. Talk yep. about what happened on the last episode of the podcast. Now we were in the middle of taping the podcast, and I don't remember specifically. I think we were talking about cyborg section. Yep. And so Pete started to talk about. I, I had to briefly mute. I was doing some work in the middle of that, so I briefly muted. Pete was talking about so i completely missed this section until i was going back and editing it so we didn't even realize what's happening you'll understand why i frame it up this way in a second uh but pete started talking about what were you talking about you were like the darkness something about like it's dark in everybody's soul and everybody's life or something like that and then justin you said do you remember no oh you said <laughs> you did the bane quote you say i was born oh, in the darkness born. yes you really embraced it then talked for about two seconds longer, and then we had to pause the podcast and come back to it later. And I think you, you got oh, those re- reversed because I remember doing the Batman quote. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay, there yeah, you yeah. go. All right. So I got it reversed. I'm sorry. You white men look the same to me. So wow. after <laughs> wow. not me though. Not me. Yeah, not you. Uh, not you. Not me. So I didn't realize this until I was going back and editing it. The reason we had to stop the podcast is immediately after Pete said I was bored in the darkness, you merely embraced it. All power went out in West Philly. <laughs> and the weirdest part about it was, Pete, you were still on the Zoom, but everything else in your house was shut down, right? Yeah, it was crazy. That was weird. So we were just watching you running around in the dark, yelling with your girlfriend, being like, I don't know, we don't have any heat. Do no. you have some sort of organic Wi-Fi? How does <laughs> your, how is your Wi-Fi work? It was crazy because it immediately went to the backup. You know, we get we do Xfinity. And, like, Xfinity has, like, a, you know, kind of, like, uh, a, I guess a network that is a, a backup, which is nice to know. But then it was, like, I was worried because I was, like, now I, you know, you're going, like, okay, I have, like, 100% of my computer, but I have to do work because it was a, you know, work Dick day. Down. You're on a clock. You got 100% yeah, like, power like, what do I save my computer for? Like, I mm-hmm. can't just watch... You know, highlights from the Bills game. Like, I have to figure out what's going on, you know? And we need that. to tape the rest of the Doom Patrol podcast. Yeah. So that was the crazy thing. So we made you sit in the dark and do that. No, yeah. we didn't do that. We came back to it later. But it is, do you feel like you cursed yourself a little bit and perhaps all of West Philly? <laughs> no, no, I do not. But thanks for asking. All they right. call you the curse uh, in your neighborhood, right? <laughs> I'm sure a bunch Ever of people Ever since you do. moved in? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. That's what happened that last episode. Now, to get to this episode, Danny Patrol, we have two trains running here as everybody continues to look for the chief. The first one is Cyborg and Larry head to Danny the Street, which is a sentient street that is trying to be set down by the Bureau of Normalcy. There they encounter a bunch of people who are living their best lives and ultimately send the Bureau of Normalcy back to where it came from. On the other hand, we have Cyborg and Rita are going after Jane, who has manifested a new persona named Karen. Who's very oh. basic, loves Nora Ephron movies, just wants to marry her dunkey. Worst Karen ever. And Real she's all that situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of the episode, 
Jane, or at least Karen, has been sucked all the way inside of her persona. Jane seems to be catatonic, and that's kind of where we leave things. Now, I'm very much brushing past this episode because I will say up front, this is my favorite episode of Doom Patrol. Okay. Right of here. the whole series. Of the whole what? series. Wait, wait. I, I just, I feel like, you know, we need to back up the truck a little bit because what's fun is everybody gets a patrol in the title. Like we have a, the Danny Patrol because it's about Danny Street. And then this good next is going to be Jane Patrol. It's nice. We're, you know, we're kind of like getting this setup of what's to come a little bit, a little tease beforehand. I think that's just a coincidence that they're all named Patrol in the background. Yeah, they pre-named all the episodes. They pre-named all the episodes and then came back later and like, that was a huge surprise to us. I read an interview with the showrunner. Yeah. Nice. Oh, cool. (laughs) It's cool that you get to do that. Mm -hmm. It really gives you a lot of insight. Um, This was a great episode and an episode that really had – it really stood alone. It took the themes that they've been running through the season but were able to like have it come to a head on this sort of like – um, a place where you can find yourself and be yourself and how under fire that is and how hard it is to find that for everyone out in the world. It was just a great theme that really popped all together. Also, I like how they were like, oh, yeah, if you thought the donkey was weird, you know, you haven't seen the Danny Street episode yet. You know what I mean? Where here's this magical street that can jump places. Um, yeah, it. It's a very powerful app. It's a beautiful app. It's so hysterical in so many places. Makes fun of Karens. Makes fun of rom-coms. They do an endgame joke here for people who are really into Riverdale. Like I was like, holy shit, this is really hitting all my sweet spots here. It's really, uh, it's really a fun app. For those of you that don't know, Pete is a huge rom-com guy. This is a completely 100% true. So I this whole episode, I was like, oh, you must have been loving it here, Pete. Oh, I mean, it was hysterical. The whole, like, yeah, she falls in the rain and yeah, it's just hysterical. Well, why don't we, because for me, I will mention I love both of these storylines. It really is the Danny of the Street storyline, which, by the way, people probably know this, but it comes not the storyline straight from the comics, but Danny of the Street is also a fan favorite from the Doom Patrol comics as well, and this is a lucid adaptation here. I definitely want to spend some time talking about that, but why don't we move to the rom-com thing and talk about that half of the episode first. So, Pete, as our rom-com expert, mm-hmm. how did this work? How did this work as a rom-com? Is this like the typical thing that you might see in a romantic comedy movie? I- I'm not familiar because I only <laughs> watch documentaries. Yeah, sure, oh, sure. What with an, showrunners. Uh, We're showrunners. What an intellectual we have on our yeah. hands here. Yeah, Only whatever, man. I know you love the step-up movies. Don't fucking come at me, bro. I don't come know on. what those are. Are those yeah. documentaries about those steps from the Joker movie, which I also haven't seen? Oh, uh, <laughs> I would love uh, to get more backstory on those steps. Yeah, this is exactly – no, I mean, that, that's what's nice about this is it's uh, – it's it's playing with some tropes, but it's really different, and it's making a lot of. But there's also the the tropes that they kind of play with. But yeah, I I just it's very smart, very well done. It's making fun of Karens. It's making fun of just so much. It's just really cool. Well, this sort of uh, maybe I have my timeline wrong, but this sort of predates the whole Karen thing, doesn't it? Sure I does. think so. Yeah. So it really the fact that Karen was the name was a very funny. Um, and just this whole like the dedicate the sort of whole episode built around one of Jane's very particular personalities I thought was cool, um, and a lot like the rest of the Doom Patrol. When I hear someone say "cool beans," 
I too am suspicious. Mm-hmm. The specificity of the language that they use through Karen throughout was great. One of my yep. absolute favorite things, which drives me insane in real life, is Rita says something and then Karen says, Oh my God, Rita, you're so weird. Which is this thing that non-weird people say whenever anybody ever says something. They also are like, I'm so weird. I do things like having two drinks out at dinner sometimes. It's like, you're not you're not weird. You don't need to profess that you're weird. Just be whoever you are and that's it. And I do think that also gets to the center of what is going on with uh, Karen slash Jane here is she hates who she is right now. She hates what's going on with her. She feels totally lost and wants to escape that in the most extreme way possible. Yeah, it's like when somebody uses the phrase like, oh, I'm so nerdy. I read the whole description of the movie before I see it. It's like, that's not nerdy. And like, what are you fucking, you know what I mean? Like they is just that something miss- that people do? They... Uh, yeah, Sounds like pretty I, specific. Pete. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just yeah. When people say you're so weird or you're so nerdy mm-hmm. and don't really have anything to do with those things and are nowhere near those things, it's just weird to claim. And it's also like somebody who got beat up for those things. It's a little crazy how like people can just kind of throw it around, you know, so casually. Well, it's just I, I think it's more about it's less about gatekeeping who is a nerd and who isn't a nerd, and it's just using it wrong to your point. Yes. Right? Like, yes. It's the same sort of thing. Like you're saying, yes, uh, I'm so nerdy, I read a couple of reviews before I go see a movie. Or like, like what? Uh, I'm but a total I, yeah, nerd for rom coms, that sort of thing. Right, Pete? It, wow. Slam. It is people who uh I think it's people just trying to see what's I think this hits on the the sort of normalcy, the Bureau of Normalcy. It's people trying to be like, mm-hmm. is this weird? I don't know. And it's like auditioning what it's like. Like, I'm so crazy. I went to sleep last night and then woke up today. It was wild. I don't know what was going on with me. Um, and people are like, nope, that's normal. I was like, oh, good. That's what I was trying to do is assert my normality. And I think that ties in very nicely. What you're bringing up here is how we get these two things tied together is the Bureau of Normalcy, is this new bad for the episode? They are trying to push their own idea of what is normal. And we're getting to see that in both storylines. Even if the Jane thing doesn't explicitly tie into it, it's like you're saying, it ties into what do people think is normal? And I think, like we've been talking around a lot on the podcast, what the Doom Patrol members need to eventually come around to is... They are normal. They're normal by being weird, but that's normal for them, and they just need to accept that. That's yep. certainly what Larry is dealing wow. with very – what? <laughs> no, I like the, you, the way you said that. It's like they're weirdly normal, and that's normal for them because they're weird. Yeah. I studied at Lewis Carroll University. Yes. Yeah, you are a, a snickersnack major, right? <laughs> I was. Uh, the Jabberwock was my uh, PhD professor. <laughs> I don't know what that's called. You ran out of gas. I'm sorry. At the end. I'm such a, a nerd lot. for universities. No, my God, shut up. <laughs> there it is. Um, but I do like I. Everyone, this show has done such a good job, and as a first time uh, viewer of the show, like pairing off all the different characters in different episodes, and so um, we get uh, Rita with Jane and uh, Cliff, sort of on the porch with a new robot friend. Oh my, come on. That was just so magical and so hilariously amazing. 
the kid going by on his bike the first time and then coming back to a robot breakdance fight with him? Come on. Well, speaking I mean, of Step Up, again, a movie that I'm entirely unfamiliar with, Pete, who won that Step Up style battle between Chris That kid and won. Come on. Kid that kid won? won all day. Well, it's not fair. You can't challenge a robot to a robot dance. How a robot's yes, you always going to You can challenge anyone you want dance. to breakdance fighting. I a robot, always, a I go, always I go to win. clubs all the time and I'm like, I challenge you to a human battle. I was just outside today. Lose every time. You lose every time. a pigeon to a breakdance fight so and weird. he wouldn't fight me. That's why people call you the curse. You're yelling, you I do agree with pigeons. you. I love that sequence, but Cliff isn't as good of a robot dancer. It probably has to do with the costume, right? Like just the fact that it can't actually move very well in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because cool. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We all, all three of us agree that. We're, that's a critic's eye right there. We just really put it together and agreed completely on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cliff Honestly, is left we could out. get through this podcast a lot quicker if we just all three agreed on everything. Did you like this? Yes. Did you like there this? Goes yes. Our, podcast <laughs> on. There goes our brand. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I was saying um, Cliff is uh, stuck on the outside here. Um, and we're really pushing this Cliff Jane Situation. Um, he finally gets to come into the rom com story, and he is immediately put into the dad role. They're going to yep. walk her down the aisle. So oh, it's kind of touching. Yeah, but Until now it's I, like realizes what's going on. Well, that's the thing: is it draws a line under Cliff very verbally without being like, "I want you to be my surrogate daughter." That's essentially what he wants. But when presented with that possibility. That's not actually what he wants. He doesn't actually want Jane or Karen or whoever to be his daughter. He wants to connect with this other person, and he feels like he's already connected with her, but at every turn, Jane is shutting him down. Yeah. Um, yeah, And but it feels like the next episode, we're going to maybe get a little bit more about that. Because the thing of, uh, we keep seeing that the Cliff's daughter is out there, but then we keep reestablishing the Jane-Cliff relationship as a father-daughter relationship. And maybe that's just me looking for a surprise reveal. And yeah, it could just be pushing like... pushing this agenda. I'm it's... not pushing it. The show is, it keeps putting it in front of us. And it may be just how... They want to relate because that's where they have missing pieces in their life. Um, I get separately. it, dude. You know, like you have daughters, you see them everywhere. I mean, it's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like yes. I got, you know, I'm glad that you're happy. You're so smart, Pete, my daughter, Pete. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me I throw this out at you. Is he maybe trying to connect with Jane so hard because he's scared to try to connect with his actual daughter? Whoa. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. That, Dr. Zalvin just showed up. And it Thanks, also, Doctor Z, I do think that uh, makes a lot of sense because his daughter grew up already, and mm-hmm. she doesn't really need a father potentially. Um, she has one in uh, Bump, um, though we don't know how that went. Oh, uh, and Jane clearly needs um, some sort of help, and so I think he's seeing that spot for himself. Don't call him Doctor Z because I think a Doctor Z more on the uh, train there. So don't it's too completely Doctor. No, I deal doc- with the same things as Doctor Z. Yeah. Oh, wow. If you need it. Just let me know. That's a New Yorkers only uh, (laughs) reference. Uh, Dr. Z, the the dermatology guy, (laughs) right? He deals with the subway pimple man. And he always looks like he's on the verge of death in every picture. (laughs) Yeah, he's not a healthy man. We're still focused on other people's skin. He's letting himself fall apart. Oh, man. Exactly. His skin is just sloughing off. You can see the top of his skull kind of poking through where his skin is slowly just uh, 
pulling away from him. Yeah, yeah it reminds me Men of in Black Rita character. in blob form a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah, totally. Don't. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Now I'm worried. He listens to most oh. of our other podcasts. I hope he doesn't listen to this one. This is a, has always been a Dr. Zedmore takedown podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, that guy's heard it all, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I, just while we're sticking to this storyline, I love Dougie and all the stuff that goes on with Dougie and his family. That is so fun. Yeah. I love the idea oh, that, like, God. certainly Karen seems to have this mesmerizing love me thing that happened with her eyes. But I don't yeah. even know if she necessarily does that to Doug all the time. I think Doug is just a sucker for Karen and keeps going back to her. And no, yeah, it's clearly a fun. spell. It's clearly a spell. Is it? Yeah, because he spell? was like, no, get away from me. And then she had to give him the old eyeballs. I don't know. Maybe Dougie has the same thing to Karen as you do, Pete, to cookies. Uh, don't you bring up cookies. I'm just saying. Oh, you keep going are you back guys on? Are you guys on the outs? You and, <laughs> you and cookies? Never. It, the second the second cookies show up at your doorstep, Pete, you're lost. You're gone. Oh, That's man. It. Oh. Uh, and for those of you who have never seen Pete, he's uh, blue, furry, googly eyes, <laughs> always throwing cookies in his mouth with no hole Gullet. in the back yep. for the throat. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Dougie is very fun. Uh, also really liked all the stuff, like I said, with his family. I thought was super fun. Both them mm-hmm. hating Karen and screaming at him, get away from her. <laughs> we hate her to them flipping once they're caught under the spell and loving her. Just just a fun storyline overall, even though obviously it does get deeper stuff. What do you think, though, it's saying about Rita? Because they haven't really touched on that. Uh, was it saying about her in general? Yeah, this storyline. Because clearly this well, is saying something about Cliff and it's tying into Cliff. It's saying something about Jane and tying into her. Right. But what's it saying specifically about Rita and the place she's in in the show? Well, what I liked was when Jane tried to or Karen tried to go after Rita, Rita's response was, I know. And it, like, just stopped Karen. She was like, oh, you know, and then she had to use her powers on her. Like, Rita wasn't moved. She wasn't going to kind of fall for the normal kind of like, yes, I'm all those things. I'm struggling. It's hard. She was pretty, I was pretty impressed with how she was like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, she seems like aware of herself in a way that's healthier. I, I was impressed with Rita in this, uh, in this app, she didn't get a lot to do, but uh, even that one little part that she got to shine, it was pretty badass. And I feel like she's someone who hasn't been a best friend uh, and doesn't have a lot of friends. So maybe she even liked the role of best friend a little bit. She definitely liked sort of being the witness to all of it, I feel like. I love the shot of her with a very full glass of red wine when the family's Come fighting on. and whatnot. Very fun. I mean, you got to um, do that. Uh, and even though Karen used to use the eyes on Rita, um, I do think she was sort of liking where she was. Yeah, she wants uh, she wants normalcy like the rest of them think maybe they want it, but are sort of rejecting it at the same time. But Rita is in a place where she's trying to figure out how to unblob herself. She is trying to figure out how to more regularly be the person who looks like Rita Farr. And so there's a certain amount of comfort probably in being brainwashed by Karen and not having those choices taken away, which is a lot of what the episode is about as well. I can. uh, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say a uh, slight topic change, but I love the Dermot Mulroney um, shout out and insult at the same time here. That was pretty good. I also really liked the multiple shout outs to the rat from the last episode. 
Uh, I wrote down a couple of those lines. Cliff asking <laughs> Cyborg. Yeah, you ever had a right run around inside you? Hysterical. Yes, that's very funny because totally reasonable. He thinks they're yeah. both robots. So sure, that's just a thing that happens. You have rats running around inside you sometimes. Uh, also, the uh, I think this was a Rita line. We all have rats in our heads sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Very fun. Oh, and yeah. true. And the last one, when they cut back to Cliff and the little robot boy having a conversation and he finishes the story, and the robot boy says, what does that have to do with the rat in your head? Just yeah. a very funny throwaway that implies this long conversation they've had before then. So, like that. And, and then the- just, Cliff's trying to connect. He's desperate for connection. So he's asking a child in a robot suit, like, hey, you're a robot enough to have a rat in your head, right? <laughs> and then he's also like, you know who Jennifer Beals is, right, kid? Yeah. And he's like, I'm just a little boy. He's like, oh, bro. Yeah. Well, that cl- kid clearly predates Book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus, where Jennifer Beals is seeing a career resurgence right now. Her IMDb star meter is going way up, way up. And she's going to be the focus of our next segment Deals with Beals. Jennifer Woo! Beals, everybody. <laughs> what wow. kind of deal would you make? Uh, yeah, we have Jennifer Beals' agents on here. We have a lot of people about to join us. So if you are <laughs> not if Jennifer this is Beals, not, to be clear, no, couldn't get her. And yeah, this no. is about her deals. Yeah, we're not, yeah, we're, exactly. People don't care about just, her. This is about deals. This is a this business is a podcast that focuses on Jennifer Beals. So like, no, Alex, I, you mentioned you mentioned the book of Boba Fett. Now you read the original nonfiction book of Boba Fett, right? Of course, because you I don't watch. Library. It's a documentary, I believe, that is based on the original autobiography that Boba Fett wrote back in the day. The autobiography <laughs> of Boba Fett. Yeah. All right, that, let's. That's let's. Wa- I want to talk about my favorite character, morally corrupt. I mean, come on, unbelievable. Yes, come on, some, indeed. Some unbelievable quotes. Just it's a, it's fabulosity and incarnate. Incarnate. Yeah, I mean, come on. Well, the whole storyline. On Daddy in the Street, if we want to jump over to that now, is fantastic. Like like I said, maybe my favorite thing on the show, the way that it plays out through, like you're talking about the, the, oh my gosh, what is it called? The first part of the episode, the prologue. The beginning. Prologue is (laughs) one of the show. Oh no, (laughs) Alex, you have a rat in your brain right now. Probably. Uh, Was it called the first part of stuff? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Beginning Morning <laughs> Okay Let's talk about the morning of the episode Before we get to the nice. afternoon And then eventually the eve uh, Good night yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for a second breakfast Just that prologue where we get to see Agent Morris Wilson coming up Eventually finding out like you're talking about That he's taken on this persona of Morally corrupt or rather morally corrupt Is who she always was Absolutely lovely thing throughout With some great lines And it, it pushes Similar to like Rita and Cliff and Jane, Cyborg is kind of there and exploring some things, as I think. It, yes, what were you going to say? Well, I, I mean, what's great about Morally Corrupt is there was like so much, so many powerful things, but also uh, turned and looked at Vic right uh, in his face and was like, no one should have to feel uncomfortable in their own skin. You yeah. know what I mean? Like letting that land there just. Absolutely fantastic. Well, I do love this thing that they're exploring with Cyborg throughout the series where, like we talked about before, he's introduced first as 
an actual superhero, somebody who is in line to be in the Justice League. But as the episodes have gone on, even though he has that on the surface, he really has all of these things going on in his body, this almost body dysmorphia that he doesn't know how to deal with, that is slowly changing him in big ways. He got that scratch and that revealed even more metal under there, so he doesn't know what's happening there. So that is something he's dealing with, and he keeps kind of like puffing out his chest and being like, all right, I'm a superhero. Here's what's going on with me. Nothing wrong with me at all. Everything's cool. But Danny and Morley Corrupt definitely see through that. And in those moments when he's standing alone on Danny the street, it really comes through in a a beautiful way, to your point, Pete. Yeah, it it really is. It's That's what's nice, too, is the show is putting ideas out there. They're not beating them uh, you're not kind of like, all right, all right, we get it. Just kind of like putting things out there and framing them up. I mean, the whole uh, LT in this episode, uh, you know, finally getting to shine a little bit and, you know, like uh, not feeling like he is a piece of garbage the whole time. It was nice to see him like shine a little bit. That whole like going back the whole karaoke thing going cutting between the breakdance fighting scene was so sweet and powerful and really awesome. And then cutting back to the, I don't sing like, Oh, just, just heartbreaking. That, that just, sequence. That is the sequence to me. It's uh, to yeah. people like us by Kelly Clarkson and just the <laughs> lyrics and everything that's going on there, the way that sequence builds throughout from going from hesitant to go up on stage to finally stepping up there, speaking the lines to singing the lines, morally corrupt coming in it building there. Then the camera spinning around. He's human again, but he doesn't realize it, or at least he has his face back again. And then realizing it, the party building, the street building, because we know that Danny, the street has been hiding out and keeping a low profile. So it's this beautiful celebration. And then, like you're saying, Pete, the way that they cut there right back to him with like the mic squeak. And you realize none of this is real. Yeah. None uh, of what this a happened. Rug pull. Oh my God. It legitimately makes me cry every time I watch it. Just oh. it's that moment is so heartbreaking and upsetting because you feel like we're eight episodes in the show, but you feel like, Oh my God, Larry is finally at this place where he accepts himself, where he mm-hmm. knows himself, where he can be free. But the fact that that's all in his head and he isn't there yet, though ultimately by the end of the episode, he's made these baby steps forward like he has every episode before, is beautifully done. Yeah, and, and then so cuts crazy. back. It, it cuts back with Vic showing up and Larry's like singing outside by the house by himself and kind of gets busted. Like, what, am I that bad? Like, so yeah, we have a little bit of hope after we're kind of crushed by the reality of what he's facing and what he's like fighting his inner light being. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, sorry, Justin, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, no, I mean, I, I agree with all, everything that you're saying. Like it, um, it brings, it, it's just wild to me how much this crystallizes Larry's themes throughout the rest of the show. And he's still not, he doesn't overtake the plot of the whole story. Like this really is like, Danny the Street and um, Agent Wilson uh, and morally corrupt. Uh, that's the that story of the episode. And it just happens that it's also Larry's story. Yeah. Beautiful. We didn't really talk about Danny that much, but I love visually how they do Danny in this yeah. episode with the messages appearing everywhere. It's so cool every time. Like it's a very relatively simple effect. And I say that where somewhere there was probably some. Uh, 
CGI artist or whatever, like sweating hours to make these things just look very simple. Mm -hmm. But it, the way that it's executed in so many different ways, I think a lesser show would have been like, yeah, there's just a bunch of signs. And every time it's a bunch of signs, but the fact that they integrate it into the street and into the look of the street with a different place each time is so awesomely done. And visually, it's just so cool to look at. Um, Shout out to Ghost Rider and uh, PBS uh, kids growing up. A lot of, a lot of similar vibes. Absolutely. That's, Not that Ghost was, Rider, Ghost Writer. Yeah, that was the oh, Nicolas Cage show, right? Nicolas Cage and Ghost Writer. Yeah, it's where a bunch of kids... Um, uh, fought for vengeance against anyone that vanquished them in the past. <laughs> oh, nice. I'll tell you what, I always mix up Ghostwriter and Wishbone for some reason. And whenever anybody says Ghostwriter, we're like, yeah, that's the one with the dog that tells stories. That doesn't make no. any sense. But I'm, I was Ghostwriter Hive, uh, and Wishbone can go fuck himself. Wow. Jeez. Oh, wow. Wishbone's probably died a bunch of times by this point. He's a dog. Yeah, that's a real Milo and Otis situation where every couple <laughs> episodes they had to swap out the wishbone because he died over the course of filming. <laughs> Where's well, the investigation? He was in a bunch, in a bunch of dangerous situations. Wishbone. Yeah. Anyways, to get back to like the the Danny Zins, like this idea no, of Pete, like, were you wishbone or were you ghostwriter? I don't know what the Choose. fuck you guys are talking about. Square um, one? Were you a square one dude? I, oh, square I can't one was my tell you okay, how, we can agree on that. We lost in the weeds I am. Anyways, I just love this idea of the street accepting everybody and just like giving them a place to be. And this whole like this whole like kind of like these, you know, army people be like, no, you're a man, you know, just like, you know, you know, no uh, non-binary fucking just really. I was just really, really impressed by this. And it was done in such a fun over like the show is insane. But it's so great, and uh, it's it's doing things in such a artistically well done uh, way that is just it's a joy to watch. Well, I mean, getting back to what we were talking earlier, I think you're absolutely right, Pete. That you know, this is the sort of thing that a Karen type character would look at and be like, "Oh my god, that's so weird. What is so <laughs> weird about that?" Yeah. And yes, it is weird, but it is relatable. And the thing that makes it relatable is part of the weirdness, the fact that they are able to use this metaphorical creation of Daddy the Street to get across the points that you're talking about, Pete, is really powerful and what makes the show work in a very, very beautiful way. Yeah. And shout out to um, Diane Guerrero, uh, who plays Jane on the show, and just how much versatility she has to have and being able to play these like big dramatic moments and also all these this super funny stuff of her falling in that mud puddle. The amount of commitment you see in her body when she dives into that mud, so funny. I'll tell yeah. you what, I am, and Pete, I know you're going to take this the wrong way, but. I am liking her a lot better on this rewatch than I did originally. Like she was one of the ones that I felt like was a little bit of a weak part of the show when I watched it the How first time. How dare through. you? And I eventually came around to liking her in later seasons because, but I think part of it was, I didn't know exactly what the deal was with Jade and I wasn't sure. Like we talked about earlier, there were a lot of split personality things going on at TV at the same time. So divorced from all of that, watching this again, like you're saying, Justin, I think I'm really appreciating her performance a lot more, a lot of the stuff going on with her a lot more. Um, it's real good. Plus her yeah. vo voicemail at the, uh, you know, Doom Manor there is hysterical. 
I loved her calling and leaving a voicemail message for herself that they went from for Rita, you know, it was for Rita. Oh yeah, but it was Jane doing the voicemail message to be like, "Hey, if you have any information about the chief, chief let yeah. us know. Otherwise, go fuck yourself." And then there was the beef, and it was like, "Hey, it's Jane." In a totally <laughs> different voice, just a very funny juxtaposition of things. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Any other moments that we want to call out at the episode here? I think uh, we touched on them, but the Bureau of Normalcy seems pretty important. Uh, particularly, we got that tease. Of them in the last episode, we find out that Larry was forced to work with them for a while. Yeah. Justin, as somebody who's new to the show, what's your what's your best guess? What's your theory there? This is a little segment I like to call throwing you under the bus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> throwing me under the future bus. Um, I can't wait till we catch up to current continuity. Um, I I was surprised to hear the name of the agency was the Bureau of Normalcy, uh, because that makes them so specific to this episode. But then I'm like, what were they doing for the rest of the time? It feels like, what does that mean outside of the context of trying to get rid of uh, a a place like Danny the Street that that helps people find themselves and is a refuge for them? Uh, but... Um, it feels like they feel like a, a paranormal. I mean, this, the logo even looks like um, the uh, the organization in Hellboy yeah. uh, that he works for. So it feels like they're sort of t- use paranormal uh, people to investigate paranormal things and maybe destroy them if they are the Bureau of Normalcy. That feels like sort of an, a nefarious thing for them to do. Yeah, and another little detail that may or may not become important later is they work in a place called the Ant Farm. They mention that. Yes. And clearly there's a lot left behind in terms of Larry's past and what went on there potentially because we only get to see them saying they're sending out on a mission. We don't get to see the mission. We don't know how long he was there, any of those things. When Watching this episode, I have a, a new Larry theory. Um, it feels like um, – it seems like the the light being is like something other outside of Larry that um, came in uh, to him. And this episode made me think it is like sort of the bright parts of him. And he's been so uh, emotionally and mentally divorced from that stuff throughout his entire life in different ways. And then the accident, it feels like maybe that's part of Larry that he just has to reconnect with and not an outside force that he has to communicate with. Interesting. I like that theory. Um, I did want to ask you, Pete, we get a lot. We we didn't mention this earlier, but the way that they find out about Danny the Street is through a cake from Danny Cakes in Springfield, Ohio. Uh, we get the line, follow the cake, Vic. Always follow the Always cake. Always follow the cake. Is that accurate is my question for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what they say, like, follow the money. Uh, but, you know, if uh, it's another way of saying that, it's just, you know, the cake yeah. is what's the, the most important currency that we have. You have a lot of investment in cake. Like a lot oh, of people are man. doing like crypto or Bitcoin and all that. And you're yeah, just I got cake. a lot of freezers where I'm I'm holding on to some cake, bro. Oh, you know what I mean? All cake. ice cream cake then. Is that what you're saying? Or all Always ice cream cake, man. Come on. Yeah, he bit heavy on Fudgy the Whale. Yeah. I hope your power doesn't go out again, friend, because that'll really tank your cake, your ice cream cake investment. Every March 14th, I buy one Cookie Puss for now and one Cookie Puss for later. That's how you do it. That's yeah. how we're. But that's you know, real the government do. always wants a piece. Oh, okay. man. Don't get me started. <laughs> I, every year on my taxes, I have to report how many Cookie Pusses I have. Disgusting. Cookie Puss. <laughs> He's an alien who's got a who's got a ice cream cone for a nose. Good stuff. 
Uh, any other moments from the episode that you guys want to call out? Let's see. I did have something else I wanted to say. Hmm. Uh, anybody else want to go real quick? No, I was watching you. I was enjoying watching you stretch that out a little bit to see if you were going to be able to come up with something. I'll come well, up with it. We well, can talk I, about. Oh, I did want to say one yeah. thing. Niles, um, I like Niles knows Danny. Danny's looking for Niles outside the first encounter. Um, Danny the street. I do think Niles continuing to be this uh, this figure who has all these connections to basically everyone. He's someone that we thought was this sort of dotty professor, and um, now we know that he actually has this much, much more going on. And it felt like, so Cyborg at the end of this episode gets a comic book handed to him, right? Mm -hmm. By Danny. Yeah. Um, And it feels like Cyborg wanted to ask Danny about his father, about his life, if he knew anything, but he didn't. Um, uh, Putting Cyborg again in this role of the one character who seems not ready to face himself and his sort of weaknesses. Yeah, the comic book also on that note will be very interesting to follow, as will whatever is going on with Jane at the end there as Karen gets sucked down into this darkness. The stinger is that the the evening of the episode, if you will, is that Jane is catatonic there at the end. So we don't know exactly what's going on with her. Uh, But as Pete mentioned, the next episode is called Jane Patrol, you were saying. So it feels like, again, unless this is a huge coincidence that we'll probably get some more on that next time. Why don't we talk about who was most doomed this episode? Pete, who's most doomed? Morally corrupt. I mean, I what? just, I... She's what? doing great. She I is know. living. Living her best life right, as Allison. But I'm just worried that this is all we're going to see. You know, like oh, we got... for so, you. Yeah, yeah, like I just was... You're we got such a happy glimpse of uh, such an amazing character, and I feel like it's over, so... I'm sad that uh, I'm happy for what we got, but uh, you know, I'm sad there might not be any more. Justin, what about you? Most doomed this episode? For me in this episode, it is going to be, even though we didn't see him at all, uh, Niles Calder. Like the way mm. that Danny talks about how Mr. Nobody has Niles, nothing seems to scare Danny the street um, over the course of this episode. Except for the fact when um, when we find out that uh, that nobody has Niles and Danny's like, bye, he's he's done. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to throw out Jane. I feel like that's an easy one. But clearly some bad stuff is going on with her here at the end of the episode. And if we are going to get an entire episode devoted to her, clearly um, that means she is going to end up in more trouble rather than less as we go on. Uh, and folks, if you want to support well, this before, pod- before oh, we yeah. go, I did want to say, what are your karaoke tracks? Oh, uh, we saw- I do. I do hate karaoke. Mm. Same. Yeah. You both hate karaoke. It's a personal hell of mine. Yeah. Here's the thing. I have no problem with sitting there, watching everybody have a good time. doing. Yeah, karaoke. exactly. So happy. Go to but, town. But every single time people are like, Oh, what do you want to do? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm fine just yeah. sitting here having a beer, beer watching everybody. Yeah. Like, okay, but you really want to sing and you're scared, right? I'm like, nope. no, I'm I'm not scared. I just hey. don't want to sing right now. No, thank you. You feel the same so, way, Pete? I feel the exact same way. Oh uh, other, you know, like there are professional people who sing. There's also unbelievable people who sing for fun when they want. And it's great to watch. But like, 
I, you know, I get on stage and perform in other ways. I do, mm-hmm. but I'm good. Yeah. Don't come at me and make this about you somehow. Like, I, I'm going to sit here and watch. Don't make me get up in there and sing. I don't want to. And also, I'd much rather just be listening to music or at a live thing, listening to live uh, professionals. But if I got to go, I'll go. But uh, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not as much fun as other people make it out to be. So I guess then what would you sing if you – and all, now that we have all of that out there mm-hmm. and you're like, you do your professional thing on stage, which we all know is a full Monty-style uh, strip show, um, <laughs> what, what would be the track that you would sing if you had been killed? Because I also don't really love karaoke, but sometimes it happens. You know, karaoke happens. And uh, you can sit and, not, and ha- sip your beer all you want. Eventually you're going to have to get up and sing. Nope. What's the track? You don't, you've never sung karaoke? I Justin can't believe this, is, saying, such a th- this is such a throwaway question. Justin is saying, and I thought situ- you would have just a funny answer, and now you're both like, "This is where we make our yeah. stand." I die on, this, on hill. this hill. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Probably what's this from Nightmare Before Christmas? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, what an answer to pull out from Wait, what's downtown. Yours? What's your go-to karaoke? Yeah, well, here we go. All this I, I to mean, cue up what? What is your Justin's going to be like, I, no, I don't do karaoke. No thanks. I really don't. I'm an awful singer. I once sang What's New Pussycat and the, the karaoke night ended because they're like, Lord, no one wants to do this. <laughs> yeah. We're done here after I did What's New Pussycat because I can't sing. Um, what's your go-to though? Nah, I mean, What's New Pussycat? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't ever do that again after that night. That was super clear that you should no, never do that I agree. again. I don't love karaoke either, so I'm like, let's put this to bed. I'm right. the closer. So you can't, when someone says what's something you would want I, to do, I gotta you can't say, name I really, that. I really do like this idea, though, of fighting a song so bad it stops karaoke. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's go home. Let's go yeah. to a bar where other people sing. Or go to uh, Pete's strip bar where we can watch him take his clothes off. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, what are you do? Have they opened up again, Pete? This is not a fun bit. If you'd like to support our podcast, Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Doom Patrol, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast, and many more. And now, a piece of advice from Pete LePage. Listen to the streets. Don't judge people's sheets. Ooh, this is taking on a poetry element. I like it. The only other piece of advice I would throw on top of that is don't ask Pete to do karaoke with you. (laughs) (laughs) Ever. Ever.